We started a series last week on the book of James uh, and talking about James and the church. Last week we began with discussing the topic of trial, uh, what what it means when God puts us through trials and testings, uh, what is what is happening, what He is doing with us, that He is He uses trials, God uses trials to forge us into the instruments, the tools that He requires us to be. Um, who we are supposed to be for the purpose of the ministry of the gospel. And as we continue to look through James, I want to remind you that that is his primary subject. James is talking about the church under trial. So when he deals with topics of wisdom and understanding and controlling your tongue, he is he's still dealing with the church under trial. As we are going through testing... Um, what is God trying to do with us? So we're going to begin uh, in James chapter 1 and verse 16, where James makes the first of two addresses to his beloved brethren. He says in verse 16, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. And, and that brothers means brothers and sisters. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Knowing this, my beloved brothers, this is his second address, knowing this, my beloved brothers, um, excuse me, as my page kind of flops, all right? Uh, knowing this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of God does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. When we start this, this is going to drive me nuts. <laughs> we start this discussion and we look at this there is a tendency to draw a line between verse 15 and verse 16 and say, okay, so now we're talking about good and gifts. We're talking about what God does. But, but, but James has bringing all of his arguments always loop back. So he always starts with a statement. He comes back to it. And when he makes this statement that every good and every perfect gift is from above in verse 16, coming down from the Father, from the Father of lights. I want to remind you that the word perfect there, all right, every good and every perfect gift, James started the chapter talking about this. In, James, in verse 4, James said, uh, let, uh, let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Talking about trials, James said that God's intent is to make you Make you perfect um, for the purpose that he has created for 
perfect. Not perfect in the sense that God is perfect, but perfect for the job that God create is creating you for. Just like we talked about a saw and a hammer and all of those tools. They have to be forged differently. They have to be built differently because they're being used differently. We are being perfected for the purposes that God has called us to. And therefore, when he says every good and every perfect gift, he is referring to the testing that you will endure. That God's testing upon you is a good and perfect gift. Because it is contrasted with the temptation he deals with in the previous verses. The temptation that comes from our desire corrupts us and eventually brings birth, brings forth sin and death. His work, his trials, his testing instead perfects us. It is a good and perfect gift. And if every good and perfect gift is from above, so that means that the things that we enjoy are good and perfect gifts, and the things that are difficult are good and perfect gifts. You parents, right? Your kids. Now, we all know that no one here plays favorites with their kids. No one has a kid that they get along better with than other kids. We all treat our children. Now, I, I treat my child. She's the best I have, right? also the worst I have. It's like when my sister graduated from homeschool and told everybody that she was the top of her class. <laughs> You're the only one. But the reality is, when our children are born, we don't, you know, if you've had more than one kid, your first child is born beautiful and perfect. When your second child is born, you don't go, well, this one's not as good. <laughs> or, or, well, I wish we'd had this one first. You know, you know, we don't ask those questions. Every child is good and perfect when they're born. They're beautiful to their mother and, and father. Their parents look at them and they say, they're beautiful. Now, it doesn't matter what that kid turns out to be. Um, at that moment, that child is perfect and good. And, and when Christ is at work in our lives, when God is at work in our lives, every gift that he gives us, whether they are difficult gifts or they are, are, are easy gifts, whatever God is doing, it is perfect because it comes from him. And if we look at trials and temptations, remember, James said, count it all joy. He said, this is something you have to choose to love. You have to choose to love the testing of your faith. You have to choose to love the trials that you go through. And people say, well, I don't, I, I don't want to go through trials. Why should I love them? I get news for you. You're going to go through them whether you want to or not. So you might as well just count it joy as you go through them. You might as well decide whatever God is doing, it's going to be great. So I'm just going to go ahead. I'm going to go through it. He says, and he says that this comes from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In other words, what God is doing, he has always been doing. What, what he is doing in you, he has been doing before and he will do after you. You, you are a part of what he is, is doing in the world. God has an agenda. He has a focus. And it is for the good. It is for the recreation of all that is broken. It is for the reforging of what has been shattered. He says, of his own will. Verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Now, this is meant to be a contrast. If you look back, you'll see in 
uh, in verses, uh, verses 14 and 15, this statement, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires, and then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And living by our own desires, the temptations that we go through, eventually they're going to bring forth death. That's what's going to emerge from that. But from the trials that God puts us through, what He will bring forth, what He will bring us, verse 18 of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth. What He is doing is He is making us part of His creation. We are being changed and transformed to be a part of what God is doing. James believes very strongly that God is not done as the creator. There are so many people, so many uh, ideas and opinions about how God interacts with creation. And most people have this mentality that God is super distant from us. He created the world. He, he maybe even offered us Jesus to save us. But he's not directly involved in me. It's all me. It's all my choices. It's all what I do, what I say. If I want to be a good Christian, it's my responsibility to be a good moral person and decide what morality should be. If I want to, if, if we want to have a good church, it's all about how hard we're willing to work. You know, because God's really not going to help us out. I had a friend one time, um, he said, uh, uh, we were talking to a, a missionary, and we asked this guy why, as a kid, I was a kid at the time, we asked the guy, he said, why do you so actively, um, you know, pursue congregations for, for support and money? Um, you know, like, like there, are, there are some, I'll spare you the, the grim details, but there are people that are so obsessed with getting into the church so they can get more money. Um, they need finance, and I don't, I don't fault them for their financial responsibilities or anything, um, but this missionary <laughs> said to us at one point, he goes, well, you know, he said, faith without hints is dead. <laughs> In other words, if, if I don't tell people they got to pay me money, they won't, they won't know. You know, if we don't, if we don't constantly ask, I, I was a part of a church that, that just celebrated an anniversary. Um, they were, the founding pastor one time paved the parking lot. They came in on Sunday morning and told the congregation they needed to come up with $30,000 to pay for it. He said, well, you know, we, we just got to do it. We just got to act. My brothers and sisters, God at work in us is creating something new. And sometimes when we're so desperate to be or to make something of our own, we miss out on being part of the creation, part of the new thing, part of the, the beautiful thing, part of the wonderful thing that he is making. In verse 15, he talks about temptation. It comes from ourselves, and it, when it is conceived, it brings forth death. But when God tests you by his will... He brings you forth by the word of truth as the firstborn of his creation, as something new, something wonderful. Then he says, knowing this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear. In my notes, I have a giant question mark. Quick to hear what? 
See, when we read this passage, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Most people read that and they say, we need to be quick to hear others. Slow to speak, slow to anger. We need to listen to other people. We need to, it's practical advice. James is giving us practical advice. I would contend to you that that is not what James is saying at all. He is not saying you need to listen to other people and be slow to speak and slow to anger. Not that that's bad advice. It's in Proverbs. It's there. But that is not the context of what he's dealing with. He will talk, he, he specifically says that we were, he brought us forth in verse 18 by the word of truth. In other words, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear the word of truth. Not to listen to other people and their opinions and their attitudes. Now, all of us can sometimes work on our attitude toward other people. I'm not saying that, that, that that's not... Again, it's not that that isn't practical advice. You can find it in Proverbs. But Paul, uh, but James is making the point that since we are the firstborn of his creation and we are being created by his word, we are being transformed by his word, then before we run off on our mouths, all right, we are supposed to hear the word of truth. So often, and I find this experience all the time, we speak for God, we rush into our opinions and our attitudes, rather than being willing to hear the word of truth. I have often encountered people, well, the Bible doesn't deal with this. Well, just because the Bible doesn't have an explicit statement about something does not mean that the scriptures don't speak on it. Now, there are certain things the Bible has absolute straight statements on. Adultery, drunkenness, right? Those things are, are all over the place. Then there's a bunch of gray areas, and people are like, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about it, so I'm free to do it. Well, that's not how it works. Um, that's, that's what I call reverse Amishness. <laughs> all right, so, so the, the Amish, the Amish, if the Bible doesn't say it, they don't use it. So it's a really interesting situation with the Amish. There's some odd things. Um, they, they will build plows, and they will even use tractors, because I guess the word tractor appears in the Geneva Bible or something. But they will not use rubber tires, because rubber doesn't appear in the Bible. Well, on the other flip side, we got people going, well, if it's not in the Bible, I'm free to do it. Well, that's not true. We are called to be quick to hear the word of truth. That which created us as believers... That which created us as believers guides us as believers. Let me tell you something. And, and I'm not saying this because this is my job. Every Christian needs to be under the clear, deep truth of the teachings of the scriptures regularly. It is not because a pastor gets a power trip speaking to people. Most of us would rather not be speaking to you, to be perfectly honest. It is not because it's power or manipulation or control. It is not to give authority to a human being. It is because as believers, we need to hear the word of truth before anything else. Because if we're talking, we can't hear. If we're angry, we can't hear. And as a result, 
we don't listen. And when we don't listen to the word of truth, we don't produce the righteousness of God. There is no true righteousness for the believer separate from the scriptures. I don't need to be in church. I don't need to hear the Bible. I don't need to go to a Bible study. I, I'm good. I'm a Christian. I'm all set. I know all the answers. That's simply not true. Verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Now this word implanted here, it is the only time in the entire Bible that this word implanted is used. So we can only really guess at what is meant. But it seems to be that when you were made, right, he brought us forth, look at verse 18, by his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. When God recreated you, Christians, when you were born again under his power and through his spirit, he implanted in you something that listens to the word of truth. And we managed to fill our ears and our hearts with speech and anger and filthiness and wickedness. And we approach the scriptures without meekness. And we actually manage to bury the work of God in our own being. We have all at various and assorted times in our lives felt like this. I'm just not getting anything out of the Bible. Now, if I asked you to raise your hands, most of you would. Those of you that didn't, you're just pretending, because we all have that moment. We all get to a point where we go, I'm just not getting anything out of it. I'm reading it, and it's like words on the page. What is going on? And almost always the reason is we are surrounded by noise. And I don't just mean physical noise. I mean noise like when it disrupts anything, all right? When, when we have something that is, it's just keeping everything from being clear, that's, that's uh, interfering, if there's interference, and so as a result, it's like nothing. Did you know um, that it, now, okay, hold on. Everybody who has never tuned, had to tune a television, this illustration will make no sense. <laughs> Those of you with cable, your interference and not being able to see another channel, it's a completely different situation. But those of you that remember the days of the antenna, <laughs> and you would tune your TV and there would be all these channels that just had gray, black, and white. <laughs> you know that 3% of that noise is the echoes of the creation of the universe. That the entire, throughout the entire universe, there is what's called black background radiation operating at just three degrees Kelvin, right, which is just barely above absolute zero. And it's spread out. And, and because the universe is so big, and I'm not going to get into the relativity of it all, but because the universe is so big, basically that radiation has gone from being light and noise and heat to just being extremely, extremely, extremely low level electromagnetic radiation. And it appears in the radio. 
It just sits in the background. It creates part of the noise. And if enough of that noise, that static, all right, is going on, you can't see the channel. You can stare at that channel as long as you want. Um, my, my parents, when I, was, when I was young, we didn't have a TV until I was in third or fourth grade. And when we got one, it was a black and white TV. Now, I'm not at that old. We were just that cheap. Um, but, but, uh, and my father got an antenna from somebody and, and it was funny because you could get, again, this dates me. All right. So all the people under 25, you're not going to know what this is like Saturday morning cartoons, which is a thing I don't even think exists anymore. ABC used to broadcast the audio of the Saturday night, Saturday morning cartoons on their radio stations, all right, ABC out of New York, all right, WABC out of New York. And so my father, because he couldn't quite get ABC, would kind of just put it staticky. You could kind of sort of make out images and then tune the radio and leave us to watch the cartoons. As a result, I experienced Scooby-Doo and several of the Hanna-Barbera cartoons very differently. The Laverne and Shirley cartoon, which most of you don't even know ever existed. I experienced those very differently from my friends who had cable. When the noise and the chaos gets in the way, of course we can't hear the word of truth. When we are talking, of course we can't hear it. When we are angry, of course we can't hear it. When there is wickedness or there is filthiness in our lives, of course we can't hear it. And yet the voice is always there. James says, God implanted the word in you. And sometimes what we need to do is quiet the noise. Repent of the sin. So that he can be heard. And the same is true when we are dealing with the word of truth, not on our personal level, but on a corporate level in the church. When everything that is going on in the church drowns out the preaching of the word of God, everything that is going on in the church has to be silenced. Now, Bedford Road is, is, is very good at keeping things simple. But I have been in church services where nobody cares that the pastor is uh, either preaching heresy or preaching the same sermon he preached last week because everything else is wonderful. Oh, the band, they're amazing. If the band is the focus of your worship service, it's got to go. Oh my goodness, the prayer and the Holy Spirit fell. And this is, if that is the focus instead of the word of God, it's got to go. Look at how blessed we are. I was in a church in, in uh, Tennessee one time where the pastor had a, a, a railing around his platform. I couldn't figure out what was going on. And he would come up to it and he would put his hands on the railing and he would stand like this. And then he would back away and he would continue speaking. I'm sitting there going, what is going on here? And then I figured out what it was. He had rebuilt his sanctuary to look like the Metropolitan Tabernacle, the church of a pastor named Charles Spurgeon, and he was emulating Charles Spurgeon's preaching style. He was, Spurgeon would get up on the railing and he would lean like this and his belly would flop over top and then he would lean back. And this guy had actually created a newspaper. I, I wish I was making this up. He had created like a newspaper that circulated in his church because Charles Spurgeon's sermons were published in the newspaper every week. So he felt that since he was like Spurgeon, 
I don't know if he thought he was reincarnation or something. Um, he had a newspaper printed in his church with his sermons in it. Right? That's got to go. The purpose of gathering as a congregation is the word of God. That the preached word of God resonating with the implanted word of God. That the taught word of God resonating with the implanted word of God. And we get all the distraction out of the middle so that we, the people of God, are hearing and acting upon what we receive from the word of God. And then he says in verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only. If all you do is listen and you don't act, you didn't hear me. My father used to say to me, son, your feet need to move faster than your mouth. <laughs> Normally that was because I was trying to explain. Now, I didn't really understand it until I had Ariel, who is basically a female version of me. Who, who it's not, she's, she's talking her way through something. And she'll be talking to us and she'll be explaining a situation. I'm like, that's fine, honey, but I'm holding a nail. Could you get me the hammer? <laughs> You know, I never do that. I never let her have a hammer when I'm holding a nail. Um, but, the, you know, she also has my coordination. Um, but he would say to me, he said, son, get your feet moving faster than your mouth. I, I'd be holding something, trying to nail something up or, or cut something. And I'm jibber jabbering. And he's and he's like, I need to finish this. Being a, If you are listening, all right, but you're not doing, if you're listening to the word of God, but you're not doing, then you're just... You're just a hearer. Oh, that was wonderful. You guys know my standing policy. Never tell me that I preached a good sermon. The sermons are not about me and my ability to speak. They're about the Word of God. If you want to come up to me and say, the Holy Spirit moved me in this message to do this thing, this aspect of God's will. If, if the Holy Spirit moved me, you know, I, I was listening to the preaching of the Word. Man, I, I, I came to the belief that I, I'm, a, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus and I, I want to come to faith in Him. You tell me that all day long. I mean, not don't do it over and over, <laughs> over again. But, but if you're, you're an unbeliever and you say, man, this is the moment. I'm going to take this step. You come and receive. You know, Eric, um, you know, wow, man, you were preaching on baptism. I realized that I'm a believer in Christ. I need to follow in baptism. I need to obey. I need to complete that. That's, a, that's the true step of a believer. Man, you can tell me that all day. But don't come up and tell me, Eric, man, you were so funny today. You just made me laugh. And I, I now I try to laugh. I try to laugh and try to have fun and stuff like that. But the reality is, I'm not a comedian. I'm here to teach you the word of God. He said, "Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself." You are kidding yourself if you think that you can just listen to Scripture and not do what it commands you to do, and that you won't fall into problems. Be doers of the word. Verse 22, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, and he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. I hate having to remember to get my hair cut. When I get up in the morning, I look in a mirror and I go, whoa, who is that old guy? And then I turn around. And I go about life and forget all about what I look like. There have been moments that I have seen my reflection in one of the glass cases at a, at a, at a grocery store and went, I look like a mad scientist. My hair is all over the place. My beard is all, all floofy. I don't think about those things. Most guys do not spend a lot of time looking at themselves in the mirror. 
You know, we wake up, we go, if there's a brush required in order for our hair to be in any kind of shape, you know, um, we wake up, we go, and we walk away. Now, my wife used to laugh that sometimes as I was walking out of the bathroom, I would sniff my armpit. <laughs> She's like, what are you doing? I was like, I seriously sometimes forget whether I put deodorant on, so I have to check. I forget to shave. I wear a lot of black and, and neutral colors because I don't want to go through the effort of having to figure out whether things match. Um, you know, there's all, all kinds of things that happen because the reality is when we look at ourselves in a mirror, as soon as we walk away, we forget what we look like. All you need for confirmation of that is sitting at an intersection with, uh, and looking across or next to you and seeing somebody on their way to a job interview or something. You can always tell if they're on their way to a job interview or a date. You know how you can always tell? Mirrors down and they're going, you know, because they're trying to remember what they look like, you know. Um, they're trying to remember what, what's going on. But the one who looks into the perfect law, look, law, law, destroy the law. But I have come to fulfill the law. The perfect law, when we look at Christ and we see the reflection of who we are, we become aware of our sinfulness, we become aware of His righteousness, we become aware of what He is calling us to do and to be, and it transforms us. If I just look in a mirror, confronted with the perfect law of liberty, when I am confronted with Christ, when I truly, truly can hear as the word is preached and the, and the uh, implanted word come together and I look at Christ, I see Christ, there is a transform happens in the heart of a believer. We choose, remember, he said, count it all joy. Make a choice when you are going through trials. He says, we choose when we see our reflection in Christ. We choose Him. Be no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. How do you not forget what you look like in the, and when you look at yourself in comparison to Christ? You take action. You do something. You move. You change. You take a step. You develop a discipline. You, you commit to do something. It doesn't mean that you will be perfect in everything that you do, but you take a step. He will be blessed in his doing. Notice, just as I end here, he doesn't say you will be perfect in your doing. He says you will be blessed. He doesn't say when you look in a mirror and see the perfect you, I'm good enough, strong enough. He says, when you look into the mirror, right? So remember, every good and every perfect gift, verse 17. Now we're down to the perfect law. So what is pushing me to look into the mirror? It is my trials, my testing. It forces me as a believer to look at Christ. And when I look at Christ and I see the, again, this preached word and the implanted word come together, the Holy Spirit guiding me, and I look at Christ through my trials, that is when I am transformed and I act and I do. You know what? If you go back over your life as a follower of Christ, I am willing to bet that trials pushed you to make more radical changes to follow Christ than anything else did. When God pushes you and tests you and tries you and breaks you down to your knees, that is when we really can see Him. 
That is when we dispense with the noise. We get down. Everybody wants, well, you become a believer and your life is going to be easy. Hogwash. That's what runs off the hogs when you wash them, in case you're wondering. I grew up on farms. Alright? It's hogwash. It is garbage. It's nonsense. You're going to become a believer and everything's going to work. No, it's not. Because God has to try you and test you and forge you and build you. And you say, well, I don't know how to deal with the trial. Neither does a piece of metal that's being made into a sword. But you go through the trial and in the end, you're, you reflect the perfect law of liberty. And you do something. You do something. Whether you're facing trials or practical challenges, the only witness that matters should be the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only witness that matters is the word of God. So he said, I have a problem that the Bible can't fix. No, you have an attitude toward the Bible that needs to be corrected. You say, well, the Bible doesn't address the matters that I'm dealing with. They couldn't. They say, well, I set up these, these steps. I, I talked to somebody one time. They were having trouble with one of their children, and they pulled out a piece of paper. This was 15, 20 years ago. Pulled out a piece of paper, and it was a checklist of all the things that they needed to do to correct um, wayward children. They'd gotten it from some resource center somewhere. I did all 15 steps, and my child is still misbehaving. Okay, you know, I, I don't even know how to answer that question. Your child is not a Volkswagen bug. You know, there's more procedure than we, we have to go to the scriptures. Not to some checklist, not to some idea, not to some person. One of the reasons I have such a hard time, I have this side jam, one of the reasons I have such a hard time recommending counselors to people is it's so hard to find counselors that take people to the scriptures. And as we all know, my, my counseling technique is somewhat lacking. But it's so hard to find a counselor that their first answer is, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? No matter what you're going through, and I know this sounds simplistic, and I know that there's so many more things that we could talk about, but no matter what you're going through, until you can sit down and hear the Word of God clearly without the noise and the distraction, you have to carve out that time. You have to carve out that process. You have to take that step so that you can see yourself in the reflection of Christ and know what you're called to do. And that's why God brings trials. To bring us to a time where we face the noise, clear it out of the way, and finally begin to hear and do the Word of God. Do you join me in a word of prayer? Father, as you have called us to be your church, we ask for your direction and wisdom and the steps to do that. Every congregation is different. Every life is different. Every family is different. And we all have different needs and go through different trials and have different purposes. And that's why it's so important, Lord, that we hear your word. Clear out the noise and the static and the background radiation so we have a clear signal, a clear reflection of Christ in our lives. And then move us to act. Show us the steps. 
Help us to have the boldness to do and to be what you have called us to do. We pray all of this through the Holy Spirit, by the power of Jesus Christ, to you, our Father. Amen. My brothers and sisters, go in peace.